Believe it or not, we're into November, and we're on uh, old school, traditional time again. And uh, the traditional holidays are approaching. Uh, and uh, it seems like every year during this time in recent past, uh, we are struck with the contention over the very names we ascribe to those special days. Uh, the culture war is uh, clearly on as we speak, you know, focused on the labels of the season sometimes, whether the Christmas tradition will hold on or whether we will all learn to be inclusive, uh, who knows, frankly, frankly, this debate, if you will, is at the fringe of our faith. Uh, while it very much affects our culture significantly, to be honest, we've all got to recognize that what we call a tree or even whether stores allow their employees to say Merry Christmas uh, is only a marginal issue compared to the main thrust of the gospel, which is where people will spend eternity. But today, I want to move in from those outer fringes into the set of concentric circles of our faith and our conduct and our conviction, not to the center, but to the mid-range, uh, if you will, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, into that region we sometimes call the gray matters of faith. Yes, dearest prophets out there, I do believe there are some. Uh, this is the ground over which some find themselves questioning, if not engaged in a not-so-civil war, with other Christians. Those everyday decisions and practices upon which good and godly people sometimes or often differ. Now, this is going to be probably a two- or three-part series, so we're by no means going to cover everything today. All the important things are not going to come in today. So please uh, be patient in that respect uh, that you didn't hear something you think is important. There's a lot to cover here. But uh, just as we look at how we celebrate the birth of Christ within Christendom, uh, most Christians that I know go the traditional route of recognizing Christmas as a time to remember the birth of our Savior uh, through a variety of ways, including carols, uh, perhaps a play, family gatherings, wise man-like gifts, a tree and lights. Others will shun those traditions concerned about the pagan use of the tree and while I don't think it's applicable, if you look at Jeremiah 10, verses 2 through 4, you will see that the prophet condemns the heathen use of how we, frankly, use trees today. For Easter, some give up a thing or a, or a habit for Lent in recognition of what Christ gave to them. Easter eggs are considered okay fun for some Christians and almost anathema for others. So the key question here is, how can we find some sanity and balance 
in these matters when the Bible does not specifically commend or condemn a practice. Our home base today is going to be in Romans uh, 14, the first half of that chapter. So if you will, turn there, and we'll read through uh, uh, some verses here just to get the, the overall context, starting in verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that, that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, and another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God as well. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you, re you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now first, a definition. What does it mean to be weak in the faith? Well, some have said this means not firmly established, not rooted or grounded in the faith, not fully instructed in Christian knowledge, or Wesley put it this way in this context, weak through needless scruples. Okay? Well, who is strong and who is weak in the faith? The answer, I would say, is you and I. Uh, sure, some would rightly contend that a new Christian may be weak and a mature strong, and generally that's correct, but we should also recognize that at least in an one sense, each of us has weaknesses in our walk from both our nature and our nurture. Uh, one is strong if one can survive contact with sinners in a particular area without falling into that sin pat pattern. Uh, if one is easily tempted by a practice, that's probably a weak area to avoid. Those who have a strong faith in an area may feel confident to minister in that area without fear of defilement. Others may need to be cautious. To shelter a strong faith is to neglect God's call. To expose a weak faith is, frankly, foolhardy. So, 
The passage tells us that we are to accept or receive in fellowship a weaker brother or sister. New American Standard says, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The King James says, not to doubtful disputations. And the idea here is that disputes over doubtful questions must not be in the way of Christian fellowship. As Mike said two weeks ago in discussing our callings, we should not focus on the small insignificant things, but look higher for God's greater purpose. And this passage assumes there will be differences of opinion. A couple of issues in the gray of that day were meat offered to idols and holy days. The ancient system of sacrifice was at the center of the religious, social, cultural, and domestic life of the Roman world. Only part of the meat would be burned in the sacrifice, and of course, being good businessmen, the rest of it would likely be sold on the, on the market. Um, and so any Christian could easily purchase the meat and unknowingly consume meat offered to a pagan idol. Now, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul makes it clear that there's no such thing as an idol in the world, and there, there's only one God. However, what he says here is that a brother or sister who has come out of idol worship to become a Christian may know that Christ saved him through faith alone and that idol worship has no real power. Still, because animal sacrifices to idols were such a central part of the worship in the Roman culture, that Christian may really struggle in knowingly eating or with even the possibility that the meat was the leftovers from a sacrifice. Now, this reminder of their former days could easily weaken their newfound faith. In another area, a converted Jew who once worshipped God on the holy days may know he cannot earn salvation by keeping the law or those days, but may feel empty or unfaithful if he does not dedicate those Jewish feast days to God. Now, in this passage, when there is disagreement in conscience or in practice, Paul gives two basic instructions, and today we're only going to consider the first one that competing convictions in these debatable areas should avoid despising and judgment of one another. In verse 4 of Romans 14, Paul asks rhetorically, Who are you to judge the servant of another? And then he explains, To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, we consider it inappropriate to meddle with someone else's servant or employee and to find fault with them. Uh, Weak and strong Christians are indeed our brothers and sisters, but they are not our servants. When we make judgments of others, we make ourselves our brother's master and, in effect, take on God's job. Both when we judge their thoughts and intents, which are, frankly, out of our view, And when we judge their appearance or their state of affairs, this is, in essence, prejudging 
or prejudice. Generally, we don't really know all the circumstances or what led that other brother or sister to where they are right now. So it's foolhardy for us to judge. God doesn't see as man sees, and he is their master. We are not. In judging our brothers and sisters, we stick our nose into things which are not thine own beeswax, and we will rarely pull it out without being stung. I don't know about you, but I have enough about which to be concerned in my own household. Passage goes on and it says, To his own master he stands or falls. That is, a person's judgment will be according to his master's sentence and not according to ours. Frankly, it's much better that we are not to stand or fall by one another's judgment. Uh, and, but by the righteous and unerring judgment of God, which is according to truth. Another perspective would be that of jurisdiction, kind of a legal concept. Uh, if we bring our brother's cause before our own judgment, the legal term would be quorum non judice, before one who is not the judge. Instead, The court of heaven has jurisdiction for trial over such matters and over that brother. And it is to that court, if his heart is right, our brother may appeal from our rash judgments. Let's continue in the passage here and starting in verse 5. One person regards one day after another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. So, if both are true believers, and both are right on the essentials and genuinely looking to God, convinced in their own hearts that what they believe and do is right before God, the one that observes the day, the Jewish fasts and feasts and festivals, without imposing them on others, nor making a big deal out of it, but just tries to be on the safe side, believing there's no harm in resting from worldly labor and worshiping God on, these, on those days, as Mike would say, it's all good. Because we have every reason to believe that because in other things he conducts himself like a true brother, that in this gray area his heart is right and that he considers it as unto the Lord. God will accept his honest intention even if he is mistaken about the observance of days. On the other hand, if he does not regard the day, this is the person who makes no difference between one day and another, but considers every day alike, if he does not act out of a spirit of uh, opposition or contempt of his brother, we conclude that to the Lord he does not regard the holy day. He makes no difference, uh, he makes no such difference of days 
only because he knows that God hasn't made any difference in those days, and therefore he honors God in trying to dedicate every day to the Lord. He that eats whatever is set before him, even sacrificial meat, he eats to the Lord. He understands the liberty that God granted him and uses it to the glory of God, understanding his liberty in Christ. He thanks God for the variety of food he has and the freedom he has to eat it, and that in those things his conscience is not defiled. On the other hand, he that does not eat those meats which were forbidden by the ceremonial law, to the Lord he does not eat. It is for God's sake because he is afraid of offending God by eating that which he is sure was once prohibited, and he gives thanks, too, that there is enough other food to eat. He conscientiously denies himself that which he takes to be forbidden fruit, and yet he gives thanks that he may eat freely of other trees in the garden. Therefore, if both of these brothers who have a different conviction have an eye to God in what they do, and they believe in what they do before him, why should either of them be judged or despised? Observe, whether we eat flesh or herbs, it is with a thankful regard to God, the author and giver of all foods, that sanctifies that act. But to avoid judging and despising one another, it is essential that our focus be right. Back to the text here in verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Even if we know how we are walking, we still need to know where we're going to get the bigger picture. Our focus, frankly, according to this passage, is not to self. As mature Christians, we learn, or we should learn, to deny ourselves. Though some are weak and others are strong, yet we all should agree not to live to ourselves. We are not our own masters. The business of our lives is not to please ourselves, but to please God. The business of our death is not for our own glory. When we die, it is to the Lord that we may depart and be with Christ. We are taught as Christians that everything we do in word or deed, we do all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's devoted to Him, depending on Him, designed and designing for Him. Though some Christians are weak, others strong, though we are of different perspectives, capacities, apprehensions, and practices in small things, yet we are all the Lord's, all serving and approving ourselves to Christ, and we are all owned by God. Is it for us then to judge or despise our brothers and sisters as if we were their masters? Are they to make it their business to please us and to stand or fall by our opinions? 
Back to the text, verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account to himself, of himself to God. Now this is fairly serious stuff. Christ will be our judge, and he has both authority and ability to determine our eternal state according to our works. Before him we will all stand as persons to be tried and give an account, expecting our eternal rewards or lack thereof from his judgment. To illustrate uh, in this passage, he quotes from Isaiah 45, verse 23 which speaks of Christ's universal sovereignty and dominion and establishes it with an oath. The passage here says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. In Isaiah 45, it starts with, I have sworn by myself that every knee shall bow. Uh, And in Romans, it's replaced with, as I live. So that whenever God says, as I live, uh, many interpret that to be swearing as swearing by himself because God has the prerogative to have life in himself. Added to that is the phrase in Isaiah 45 where it says, the word is gone out of my mouth. That was a prophecy in general of Christ's dominion and here applied to the great judgment day, which will be the highest exercise of that dominion. So, honor... Divine honor is due to God and must be paid. It is paid to God through Christ as our mediator, and God will judge the world by Christ. Speaking to the Athenians in his Mars Hill sermon, Paul warned, uh, Acts 17, starting in verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance... God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So the bowing of the knee to him and the confession made with the tongue are just outward expressions of our inward adoration and praise, but don't, or make no mistake, every knee and every tongue will give honor to him. Christians are often, or they will often base their moral judgments on opinion or personal dislikes or cultural bias rather than the Word of God. And when we apply these judgments to others, we are actually being weak in the faith in another sense because we are each ultimately accountable to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We must stand firm for these standards clearly expressed in the word. But beyond that, we must exercise grace and patience and, yes, tolerance for others. Okay, 
you're all thinking, well, what does he really think about the specifics? Well, let's talk about a few of those. How about food today? Okay? Uh, I don't think sacrificial meat is an issue. But there's nothing more clear to anyone over the age of 25 that diet makes a difference, often a big difference. And younger than 25, generally, uh, they are inherently blind to that truth. Okay? They can eat anything. By the time of life that the scales fall from the eyes, one is peering at something excessive, the bulge below or behind. Who knows for sure what effect diet has on disease as we grow older, but I think if we're honest, uh, you know, we got a pretty good idea that it does. In some circles, uh, particularly in ones that I have uh, matriculated, food can almost become an issue of conviction. Now, while it's always appropriate to encourage ones we love to take care of themselves and the body God has entrusted and with as much medical and common sense there is to watching one's diet, it's really not something we should be judging one another over. Certainly one could imply an obligation on our parts to take care of God's temple, and that kind of makes sense the older we grow. Contrary to current thought, a food pyramid with McDonald's at the bottom is honestly pretty stupid. However, try as I may, I have not found a command in Scripture that thou shalt not eat Big Macs. Therefore, it might be wise for us to give advice when asked, but don't judge. How about drink? Well, the traditional view is don't. Okay? But some Christians do. How about those liturgical types who actually drink wine for communion? And while the Scripture clearly condemns drunkenness and strong drink, We've got some of those pesky references, like in Ecclesiastes 9, where it says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. And then, from the same passage that gave us the virtuous woman, in Proverbs 31, it, it warns first, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. So leaders are held to a higher standard. But then it goes on in the very next verse and says, Give drink, give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Now, personally, just speaking personally, we do not have alcohol in in our household, and we don't drink socially. Not because I believe it's inherently evil, but rather because I believe I think children have a hard time drawing a line at moderation until they are mature. In addition, I could be wrong, but I suspect that uh, alcohol is a stumbling block for a significant portion of the population. You may feel differently about that in your own homes. Certainly, there are good and compelling reasons to completely avoid alcohol, on the sole basis of the misery and death that it causes, not to mention the temptations that it raises. 
In my business, as most of you know, as an attorney, I deal primarily in the area of adoption. And I have advised many dozens, if not hundreds, of young women who were expecting as a result of being under the influence when seduced or raped. So a little bit of gratuitous advice here. Young ladies, any guy who says just one, one drink won't hurt is a liar and can be trusted only as far as you can throw him. 99.8% of the time, his idea of a good time is not what you're thinking. Certainly, while I believe parents should avoid inconsistency and hypocrisy in child-rearing, this also is not an issue over which we should divide with other Christians who use alcohol for ceremonial, certainly, maybe medicinal, or moderate, non-intoxicating social use. How about worship? few differences there. Um, some we can probably say are questionable, some clearly disingenuous, outright phony. But uh, we all tend to congregate with others who worship in a similar fashion. But even among a homogeneous group like we have here, there will be differences. You know, some of the young people, especially in, in Lion and Lamb, have very good friends who worship in a body where the women all wear head coverings and never speak during the, the services. Okay? There are differences. In Colossians 2, uh, Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect uh, to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Again, we should not judge other worship practices if they are born out of a sincere desire to honor the Lord. Speaking of days, we just had one. In fact, today is All Saints Day, if I'm not mistaken. And yesterday was one called Halloween. Again, in, and this may be very different from you, but in rearing our children, we have had harvest festivals, All Saints Day Eve, bonfires, anything but trick-or-treating. It seems. But now, Christie has wisely seen this as an opportunity to witness. And so, yeah, we, we fill the basket with the candy and we get tracks out. And for those few that still come around, and there aren't very many, uh, <laughs> it's an opportunity. And even though my kids never dressed up in a costume on, on this occasion other than a biblical one. We're going to have the grandkids over tonight, and I would not be surprised if we end up with nine princesses and one football player. <laughs> so, the lesson here is that with age, even Vincent mellows out. But for my family, just a little. Just a little. Kind of a corollary here. 
Uh, I'm going to pick on my own community right now. Um, a a well-known homeschool uh, leader and author uh, wrote an article several years ago uh, entitled, Being Homier Than Thou, H-O-M-I-E-R. And when I read it, I said, I resemble that remark. And the, the imaginary conversation goes something like this. Well, how long have you homeschooled? Oh, really? Did you know that we make our bread at home? No, did you know that we have had all of our children born at home? Well, really? Well, my husband works at home. Well, we have a cottage industry in our home with all of our family. Well, we went all the way through high school in our homeschooling program. Well, we went all the way through college online in ours. Well, frankly, we don't have a computer or a TV in our home. Which was true for a while. Uh, it can go on and on and on. And the... Uh, the problem is that attitudes develop that are not only judgmental, but also an unhealthy pride if you take these small matters too seriously. In Galatians 5, Paul was reproving the church in uh, Galatia for falling for the false teaching uh, you know, that they had to earn their salvation by keeping the law. And he said this, starting in, in verse 1, he said, it, is for, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? But then as a good teacher, Paul offers this counterbalance, starting in verse 13. For you were called to liberty, brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk, in, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Isn't that what it's all about? Being led by the spirit. I may be wrong about this again, but my view is that being led by the spirit is both a higher standard and at the same time, an easier standard than compliance with the law. Higher because we will, we will go beyond the minimum required, but easier because our actions are from our heart, freely given out of our desire to please, to please our God. Now, 
anybody, any teacher will tell you that Vincent gets more out of this message than those that had to listen to him drone on. And that's one of the reasons I decided to, to teach on this. Speaking personally, uh, those like Tom, uh, Mike and Kathy and maybe a few others uh, know that uh, I was one of the charter members of the JA chapter of Topeka, Judgeaholics Anonymous. I'm serious. Um, and I'm not going to go through the history or anything like that, but um, I personally um, have been blessed and honored to have other Christians not judge me for being judgmental. And that means a lot to me. And I just want to ask, again, please be patient with me because God is not finished with me yet. Let's pray. Lord God, we do give our praises to you. And we know, Lord, that life is made up of all kinds of jots and tittles, all kinds of little things. And sometimes we take things a little too seriously. And then, unfortunately, sometimes we develop attitudes. And maybe even sometimes... We disagree, and sometimes we divide over some things that we should not. Lord God, help us to be more discerning. Help us to understand how it is that you want to respond, you want us to respond to brothers and sisters in Christ who genuinely love you and want to follow your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just help me, above all, to understand these truths and apply them in my life. Father, we give you praise and ask that you would uh, be with us now as we worship and praise you in our body of believers here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.